Good morning, Generations Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and uh, thank you for having me share with you this morning. It is an honor, and it's a real blessing for me to be able to share the word with you today. Uh, before we get started, will you bow with me with a word of prayer? Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can hear from you. We thank you, Lord, that your message to us is not only real then, but it's real today, that your word speaks to us and your Holy Spirit speaks to us. And I pray, Lord God, in this time, may your spirit stir in our hearts. May we know you more, know you better, and may your words speak today. We thank you, Jesus, and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the title of the message today is The Greatest Love Story. Now, we think about, when you think about the greatest love story, who comes to mind? Do you have a list? I know in preparation for this message, I did a quick search and I came across some lists of the greatest love stories ever. Some of them will be very familiar to you. Some of them that were uh, on all the lists were Romeo and Juliet. That's very familiar to everybody. Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, that was showing up on every list. Even Grace Kelly and Prince of Monaco, that came up on the list. But there was one that one love story that I never saw on the list that I think is the most improbable love story. And that's Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog. I didn't see that one on any list. But how improbable is that love story of a pig and a frog falling in love? That's one of my favorites. But when you think of great love stories, maybe you think of your own love story. Today we're going to look at uh, the greatest love story ever. Now, when you think of love stories, a lot of people, they think of romance as the great love story. And I have to admit, and maybe more than I'd like to admit, I've become a, quite a sucker for a good love story. And I credit my wife for all of it. Over the years, specifically, she got me watching Korean dramas, of all things. Now, if you've never watched a Korean drama, I have to warn you, it's highly addicting. Now, at first, it may not be your thing. It may be, it take a while to have you warm up to it. But I guarantee if you give it long enough, you're going to get hooked. Now, Korean dramas, they love a good love story. And like I said, if you've never watched a Korean drama, let me give you a brief synopsis of a typical Korean drama love story. It goes a little something like this. You have boy one who likes girl. Girl does not know boy one likes girl. Boy one and girl have a mutual friend in boy two. But what they don't know is that boy two also likes girl. Well, boy two tells boy one that he likes girl and gets enough courage inside him to tell girl. So boy two tells girl that he likes her. Well, boy one finds out that boy two tells girl that he likes her and he doesn't like that. 
So boy one also gets the courage, and boy one tells girl that he likes her also. So now girl is caught between boy one and boy two. Well, to get things a little bit more complicated, enter boy three. Boy three also likes girl. But boy three never really is a factor in the story until he meets girl two. And then boy three likes girl two, and they kind of have their own story. But then it leaves again boy one and boy two and girl one. Well, eventually, boy one wins over the heart of girl one, and they get together, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. And that's kind of a a typical Korean drama love story. And if you're currently watching a Korean drama, I'm sorry if I ruined the story for you. Hopefully I didn't. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the rest of the drama. But I find it interesting. That came to mind when I think of greatest love stories. And I find it funny that when we think of love stories... We often think of romance. But the greatest love story isn't really about romance. It's not romantic love at all. The greatest love story is not between a man and a woman. If you haven't caught on by now, the greatest love story is between God and you. God and me. God and His creation. In fact, all the scripture speaks of this great love story God has for us. Today we're going to look at a passage that is a, a, a brief synopsis of the greatest love story. This love story God has with you and me, you and his creation. Before we get into that story, let me give you a little context of the passage we're going to look at. And then in the story, we have Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader of the day. And he came to Jesus in the cover of night. Perhaps because he didn't want to be seen talking with Jesus. Perhaps he wanted some alone time to talk to Jesus. An honest conversation. He needed to figure out, who is this Jesus? What is he about? How can he say the things that he's saying and do the things that he's doing? He had questions. Jesus knew he had questions. But he got straight to the heart of why Nicodemus came to see him. And in the conversation, Jesus said something very startling to Nicodemus. He told Nicodemus, If one wants to see the kingdom of God, one must be born again. Now this totally shocked Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus took Jesus literally. And he's like, how can someone be born again? How can someone go back in the womb and be reborn? But Jesus, of course, was not talking about a physical rebirth. He was talking about a spiritual one. A rebirth from within. A radical transformation that needed to take place. Their spirit needed to be reborn. But before that can happen, Jesus goes on to tell Nicodemus, before the transformation, before the rebirth, a sacrifice needed to take place. That's where we find our passage today in John chapter 3, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. 
Now, of course, this is probably a very familiar passage to many of you. If you're like me, John 3.16 is the first verse that you've probably memorized. I remember memorizing it as a little kid. It was very well known, when, at least when I was growing up. So well known, in fact, I remember turning on the, uh, a football game. And I don't think there was ever a football game that went on that you didn't see a John 3.16, someone holding up a sign, John 3.16, in the end zone between the goalposts. Maybe you remember that. Stark contrast to today. I don't know if anyone would ever even be allowed to be in the stadium today with such a sign. But of course, we have this familiar passage, John 3.16, this synopsis of the great love story. It goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Now, right off the bat, our synopsis of this great love story starts with a profound statement about God. And it's very important we get the beginning of this story correct. It says, For God so loved the world. Our story begins with this profound statement, God loved the world. God loved the world so much, He created out of love. He created you and me out of love. He created out of His love for us to have relationship with Him. Not just any kind of relationship, but He wants us to have a love relationship. I believe God created us with this innate desire to love and be loved. But even more specifically, he created us with this need to love and be loved by God. To be received loved by God and to love him. And I believe he created that from the beginning, but I believe also with a love relationship, you need to have choice. Because what's love if someone doesn't choose to love? And I believe that's how he began from the beginning, all the way from the garden. When he created Adam and Eve, he gave them a choice of obedience or disobedience to maintain relationship with him or to do the thing that's going to cause separation from him. And if you know the story in the garden, Adam and Eve chose to do the one thing that God forbid them to do. And they were tempted what were they tempted by? It wasn't just a piece of fruit. They were tempted with the idea of being like God. The idea of disobedience didn't mean as much as, hmm, what would happen if I ate of the fruit? I could be like God. Maybe God wants, doesn't want me to be like this. He doesn't want the best for me. And we know the story of what happened. They ate of the fruit and immediately they knew what they did was wrong. And that choice sent a cascade of consequences that wasn't just from them, but something that plagues all of us. Nothing is sin. 
more devastating than any virus. Sin blinds us. It deceives us. It keeps us from being faithful to God. It tempts us to want to live our lives for ourselves. See, God did everything out of love for us. He created with everything in mind so that we could enjoy. We could enjoy Him. Even the choice to love Him. And yet from the very beginning, something that plagues all of us, what we struggle with, do I obey or not? Do I disobey? Do I want to live my life the way I want to live? Do I love God? Or do I love people more? Do I love His created things more? Do I worship God or do I worship other things? And see what birth was birthed in that garden, that sin, plagues all of us. But God did not let that deter His love. Because what does the passage say? For God so loved the world that what happened? He gave His only Son. His gift to us. Now when we give gifts, we give gifts as tokens often of our love, as expressions of our love. Maybe you can remember a gift that you received that was just the, the expression of love from that person. There are some people who are great gift givers. They know they have a, a, a creativity with their gift giving. They know just how to marry need and want. And when they give a gift, it's like an expression of their love. See what that verse says. God loved the world so much that he knew the ultimate gift to give. The ultimate expression of his love. Even though he did everything he could to show his love, he says, I know the ultimate expression of my love. I will give my son. Jesus said, I will go. And what did he do? Why was Jesus sent? Why was he a gift? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says to us, I come to be a sacrifice, to pay the penalty of sin, the sin that plagues all of us, that separates us from God, that blinds us from the truth of God. That temptation, that sin that causes us and pulls us away from God and makes us want to live our life the way we want to live. We want to be our own God. Well, with that, we all know sin doesn't come without consequence. We bear the shame. We bear the guilt of the things we've done wrong. Jesus said, I will come. I'll pay that price. I'll pay the penalty for sin. I'll die on that cross. I'll bear the shame, the guilt, the consequence. So that whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, why do I share this message today? For many of you who are watching, you've probably heard this passage. You've read this passage. You know that God loves you. 
You know that Jesus loves you. You know that he died on the cross for your sin. Why do I share this passage today? Well, coming out of this past year, I had time to kind of step back and kind of look at things. Look at the world around us. And if you're like me, we came out of last year burdened. If you're like me, I thought, Lord, how much more can we take? How much more violence can we take? How much more suffering can we take? How much more hatred and bitterness can we take? Maybe you or someone you know, you came out of this past year and you bore more suffering. You came out grieving more, struggling more, maybe more empty. I thought about the world, the world all around us. And I realized, just as we have this fundamental, this basic need that God created us to love and be loved, the world more than ever needs to hear this basic message of the greatest love story. That God loves you. He loves you. He doesn't want to see you suffer. He doesn't want to see you bear the weight of sin. He doesn't want to see you bear the guilt of all the things you've done wrong. He says, I come, I came to die for you. And not, did I, not only did I die for you, I rose again to new life so that you can have new life, so that you can be washed clean, so you can be forgiven. That's what I've done for you. When we think of love, the great love story, what God has done, I think of all the people now, I don't know if you can remember a time, but I remember growing up, it seemed like everybody knew who Jesus was, or at least they heard of Jesus. They heard of God. They believed in God. But nowadays, it seems like there's a growing generation of people who don't know God. They've never been taught God. They've never been taught that God loves them. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't really know that Jesus died on the cross or why he died on the cross for their sin. They may not even know what sin is. All they know is the emptiness that they have, the guilt and shame that they bear. I share this passage, I share this message because there's a love story that gets lost in the midst of all that we see and all that we hear. A lot of people are searching for love. Like the song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places. There's a lot of people who are looking for love, but they're looking at all the wrong places. They're looking for a love that's kind of like vapor. They look and they see it and they try to grasp it, but when they try to grasp it, it just kind of, it's nothing. Nothing, nothing of substance to hold on to. And I share this passage today because it speaks of the substance of God's love. And there's four different dynamics or aspects of God's love that this passage 
shows us that I want to share. The first thing about God's love. God's love is sacrificial. He says in John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus said that to the disciples, and he would do that very thing. I will lay down my life for you. Greater love is no one than this, than one laid down his life for his friends. You see, before God ever asked us of anything, before we, he ever asked us to give him anything, he gave to us. Out of love, he gave to us. Before God ever asked us a sacrifice of ourselves, laid down our life for him, he laid down his life for us. God's love is sacrificial. The second thing about God's love, God's love saves. It saves. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world or judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, when people think of Christianity or they think of the God of the Bible, they automatically think of judgment. And they step back. I don't like being judged. Ironically, it says God, Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. What does that mean? It means that he did not come to bring condemnation first. But he says, look, I want to save you. I want to save you from sin. I want to save you from guilt and shame. I don't want you to be condemned. God's love saves. Now I want to add though, when he first came, he came to save. But when he comes again, he will come to judge. He will judge all for how they lived, what they chose to believe, who they believed. And many people who are afraid they don't like the idea of God or Christianity, they say, I want to live my life the way I choose. But don't be mistaken. When he comes again, he will judge people for how they live their life. And if you choose to live your life the way you want to live, that is the standard that God will judge. But he says, look, I did not come just to condemn you but to save you. So God's love is sacrificial. It forgives. It saves. God's love forgives and it saves. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What comes with salvation, it says He forgives in other words, all the shame, all the burden, all the things you've done wrong, I forgive you for. I'll wash you clean. There's so many things that we may hold against other people. We have a hard time forgiving. But God says, I love you so much. I love you so much. I want to forgive you and cleanse you from all the wrong you have done. And the fourth thing, God's love is eternal. His love is eternal, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love is not circumstantial. See, the love we experience here on earth often is circumstantial between people, right? When things are going great, the love meter is high. But when things aren't going so well, the love meter goes low. 
God's love isn't based on if we're good enough or whether we've done enough good deeds or how we're doing. His love is eternal and His love has eternity in mind. He says, I love you so much. I want to spend eternity with you. I want you to spend eternity with me, to have a love relationship with me and I with you for all eternity. It's not just circumstantial. But he has eternity in mind for us. Now again, I know many of you have heard this message before. But maybe someone you know has never heard this message. Maybe their idea of God isn't one that loves them, that forgives them, that saves them that wants to spend eternity with them, that sacrificed for them. We're growing in a time that people need to hear, more than ever maybe, God loves them. He loves you. And as a church, we can't forget. We can't be distracted by all the things that are going on around the world and forget that simple message, that simple gospel message that God loves and he died for you and he forgives you if you believe in him he invites us in relationship love relationship with him what has God done in your life God has done everything in our lives that we could ever want but we show love to him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that you from the very beginning have shown your love. You've done all that we could ever ask for. But ultimately, Lord, you came as a sacrifice for us that we may be forgiven. And you invite us into a relationship with you, a love relationship with you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who's listening or watching and does not have that relationship with you, I pray, Lord God, that they would know how much you love them. And if they would believe in you, that you died on the cross for their sin and rose again to give them new life, that they can be saved. Lord, I pray that you would speak into their hearts and remind all of us, Lord God, of your great love for us. We thank you, Lord God. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.